What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Monday Moguls. And I wanted to share something that I was thinking of on my night run here, which is currently 9.30. Um, and I am running, and I just set a PR for myself after eating an entire Chipotle burrito bowl with hot sauce. <laughs> Not a good combo. Uh, but anyway, as I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about just education and reading in general, how big of an advantage that truly is. You know, my dad came to visit last week, and um, that's actually the first time that he has been down here to visit me since I moved here two and a half years ago to Tampa. And basically, I asked him, you know, how often are you reading? And he's like, well, not, not much anymore. And I remember back when I was a kid, he was paying me a dollar per book that I read. And that alone, like, I cranked through easily a hundred books in probably six months. And I read the entire Magic Treehouse series, every um, Captain Underpants, which he ultimately told me didn't count as a real book. Uh, the Diary of a Whippy Kid series, like, you know, all of those kind of books when I was a real young kid. And, you know, looking back on that, I'm so grateful. And I started reading all these different kinds of books. We went to the library every single week. And, you know, it just got me thinking like, how many people over in the Philippines that don't really have any money, you know, a lot of people leverage people in the Philippines as virtual assistants and pay them, you know, just a few dollars an hour, which here, um, I mean, I'm pretty sure homeless people make more than that here. And those people probably walk to school on dirt roads barefoot with book bags that got donated from Red Cross or something. And the fact that that is not our reality, that America is what it is because of the education and the leverage and the GDP and the productivity and the outputs and the quality people of this country. Um, You know, it really all comes down to the self-education wanting to be more, doing better, setting the example, all that good stuff. But seriously, um, I think Greg Cardone put it best. He said, if you want to be in the game, read. And you know what? After I get back, I already read my 10 pages for the day, but I've got about 30 more before I finish reading Ship Commercial, forwarded by Gary Keller. Um, Great book and has really showed me the other side of commercial, especially in a market just like now. And I think that, and this one's from Alex Kermosi, he said it's far better to read one book five times than it is to read five books one time. And I think that's what I'm going to do with this, excuse me, with this one. So just wanted to put that out there for y'all. At first, reading 10 pages a day was tough. Um, And I forced myself to do it, you know, even... To this day, I mean, my dad was here last week. I was working all day. I got my workouts in, you know, late at night. Like, it's 9.30 right now. I'm still getting my second workout in. I mean, this this program kind of kicks your butt and, like, forces you to, to get it done. And I don't feel like doing this. And it causes, you know, other problems where I have to sacrifice something else to make sure that I'm getting this part of me right. And ultimately, I know that I made the right decision. 
But anyway, that's all besides the point. Um, yeah, just get out there, read, self-educate, read, 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 and read some more, and you won't be sorry. There's a lot of people out there that will try to tell you and sell you a lot of shit, and buying a course in a bite-sized audio clip done-for-you format, it's just not how it goes. It's really, really not. You got to do the work and stop buying into that facade. So, anyway, all that being said, I challenge everybody to get out there and just crack 50 pages of a book this week. Like a real book. Not, not, (laughs) as uh, Andy Priscilla calls it, not 50 Shades of Bullshit. Read an actual book. Just read 50 pages this week. If you can do that, I bet you'll take something out of having read that book that will come up in a conversation that week. It certainly has for me multiple times over. And it allows you to see scenarios before they happen and understand the why and the thought process behind it. So I think I'm going to become a bookworm. But that's just me getting in the game. Challenge you to do the same. All right, Jeff. Next episode. Everybody, welcome to another episode of Monday Moguls. What I wanted to share with you today was a couple of things that I had learned from reading Shift. I'm about finished with the book here now, but um, today they were talking about working with REO agents and coming at the scenario with a consultative mindset rather than would you buy or sell at this price? Um, You know, really one-dimensional type of stuff and show that you're really there for their best self-interest and that they should look at you as a resource in such a way that they would feel they couldn't successfully maneuver through that transaction without you. So creating that, you know, person of influence within the transaction is critical. Um, And there was about five things that they said to consider. I don't think I'm going to remember all five, but we'll give it a shot. Uh, One of them was REO properties. One of them was foreclosure. Another one was actually um, packaging the loans together because the banks are going to you know, be audited and they don't want those bad loans on their books. So they'll consider a short sale um, or cable funding those loans somewhere else. So that I thought was really interesting. Getting in with an REO officer or a bank in general sometimes can be a little bit tricky, but nonetheless, it's very important to have those relationships, particularly in a market shift. Um, And one of the other things that they said was really interesting that I personally have been neglecting as a commercial agent is the importance of tenant representation. So with tenant rep, you're assisting the tenant and the landlords. So if you are representing the tenant, let's say they have to lay off some people and now they don't need as much square footage, they need a different space. So they'll do that. And in a downwards market, 
you get a lot of concessions, rent concessions and things like that. So you could potentially have a new landlord, you know, pay off the last year or a few months of a lease or something like that. Um, you could also work out a strategy from the landlord's perspective of, you know, hey, look, you got one, two, three tenants with leases that are coming available for soon um, and start lining up those people ahead of time because they might be getting a bad feeling about the tenants if they're going to renew or not. And they also advise that the property manager or the landlord keep an even closer relationship with those tenants during a market shift. So that way you aren't left in the dark when it comes time for that tenant to make a decision with what they're going to do, if they're going to stay or if they're going to move. Um, and just catching all of that business. And they also talk about markets of the moment. And that's really been something that's been going through my head these last couple of days. And when you look and you pay attention to all of the market cycles, it's what is hot now. Um, over these last few months, I've seen a little bit more focus on other areas rather than actual brokerage. So what I've seen people do is get into property management, focus on property management, or they've shifted to say a transaction coordinator, um, or they've shifted to some other area of business that becomes more popular in a market shift. So that to me was very interesting. Um, and they also talk about how distressed assets during a market shift do not sell well at all, um, comparatively speaking to something else, because and banks aren't going to want to lend on it um, because it's going to be very capital intensive and they don't want to take a risk and have that on their books. So distressed property in downturns can turn out to be even better deals if you're an all cash buyer. Um, and then they also talk about the importance of having various sides of lending. So private lenders, um, you know, individuals or groups that will lend you money in a market, um, you know, that could be a little bit more questionable than in a healthy one. So just a couple of things that I've thought about. Um, question for you is, what is your market of the moment that you perceive to be coming in the next year or two? Something else that I'd like to think about is, all right, if the market crashed in 2008, we didn't see the bottom of the market until 2011 to 2013. And it really clicked for me during uh, reading this book because they were talking about all the five-year arms. And when the teaser rate in the beginning of the adjustable rate mortgage was, let's say, 3.5%. And then when it kicks over, now it's 6.5%. You know, boom, you get a huge bump in, in uh, you know, how much they have to pay every single month. And it could just absolutely kill the business. So really pay attention to the adjustable rate mortgages and... If anyone is considering getting an adjustable rate mortgage, make sure you have an exit plan lined up before your five-year teaser rate kicks in. And if 
the business is making so much money that you can afford to maybe refinance into a fixed or something along those lines, just do it. Um, yeah, and maybe stow away a little bit more cash, pay down that loan faster in the first five years. So that way when that fifth year comes around, you're not completely out of business altogether. Um, yeah, so anyway, the market didn't bottom out until 2011, 2013, so in that range. And so when that happened, people were getting properties for incredibly cheap. I mean, I'm looking at quadplexes in Lakeland that were selling for like 50 or 60,000 bucks. And they're block 2-2 built in the 80s, like quality property that people nowadays would pay 600,000 for that property. So literally, we're seeing 10x gains from the bottom of the market in 2011 to 2013 to today. So take a look at that. Okay, market crashed 2008, 2011 to 2013. That was about five years later. Now, while arms are just now starting to come back into existence and we're starting to see a little bit of no income verification loans and we're starting to see some crazy stuff on the loan side. Um, you know, debt service coverage ratio, uh, no income verification, like crap like that very concerning and I don't agree with it um, that being said while I don't think whatever is coming is going to be nearly as severe as 2008 or anything like that and this was forced this wasn't a banking institutional failure this was you know the interest rates this was an artificial thing that caused all of this but then again, they also printed a crap load of money, made it super cheap for people to buy up all the property. It's just absolutely mind boggling. Um, but take a look at everything that's going on. Take a look at the cycles. So if let's say the market begins to level off and then dip, and it took five years last time, I'm going to say it might take like three years this time. So I think that's, you know, two to three years, that's probably how long it's going to take before buy, well, before sellers and uh, brokers actually realize that, hey, you know, this isn't, this isn't the same market as it was. And anyone that is using leverage right now, it's just, it's criminal what's going on. It's absolutely criminal. These institutions for the same property were lending at like three and three quarters for an investment property. I'm talking like a quadplex for $600,000 in a great part of Tampa. Okay. And that was back in February of 2022. And fast forward six or seven months later, where we are today, I mean, we're in the sevens uh, for a quadplex property like that. Now, if you go commercial, the rate's actually a little bit lower. So that's another reason why I like commercial. But besides the point, the 
interest rate rise has more than doubled in a lot of cases. And monthly, that's adding, I mean, it, it really is hard to say, but, you know, the principal and interest payments, it has tacked on for the average American family's house, like, of 350000 has tacked on, like, 300000 somewhere between 250000 and, like, 400000 in additional interest payments alone. You are not building equity for any interest payment that you are making. So the fact that you have to pay so much more to the bank for the same property with the same performing leases, everything else just six or seven months later is just astronomical. I mean, they completely shut the faucet off and they did it fast too. And I knew that this all was happening in March. I mean, you could see it. And yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, so what I'm hoping happens is that they lower the interest rates again and make it more affordable for people to start buying and like create a little bit of stimulus in the economy. Well, I say stimulate the economy not giving out stimulus, um, not printing more money to stimulate the economy, causing more inflation, which is something we're already battling. So anyway, one of the things they talk about in the book shift as well is that when the market was at its lowest point, it was hard money loans and private individuals. And a little bit of Wall Street there, too, that had bailed out the real estate market and picked us up from that bottom. So, you know, make sure you're building out those relationships now. Keep an eye out for opportunities coming your way in about two to three years. In the meantime, stack as much capital right now as you possibly can. Cash is king. And that is more true now than it was a year ago, by far, by far, um, and I would continue to hold, scrutinize the opportunities coming your way very closely, and keep exploring more options, keep learning, keep feeding on your craft, learn how to underwrite, when you are underwriting, make sure that you are factoring in your exit plan um, because a lot of times right now it's hard to even imagine an exit plan when you're paying $300,000 for a 2-1 unit just because it's in a pretty good area you know it just doesn't make any sense uh, 2020 you know we were looking at properties that were maybe 150000 for the same same property, same location. So it just doesn't make a lot of sense to to do that, especially at these higher interest rates. So if you're an owner, you need to realize what's actually happening here. And you need to realize that either it's time to sell or you're just going to hold the property until the next 
full run comes around because it's going to be a while. Unless, of course, they shut the faucet off so much so that they actually have to re-stimulate it. So nobody has a crystal ball. Nobody knows what's going to happen. But it's just really, really important that you hold some money on the books. Not have a lot of money in the market at this moment. Um, and by that, I mean the stock market and everything else. I mean, the CEO of FedEx just released a statement that he thinks the market's going to collapse and crash forever. And, you know, I keep on following Bridger Pennington's post as well. And he keeps on preaching about China and how big of a deal China is. And that China's having all these protests because the citizens there aren't able to get their money out of the banks. And people in China don't protest. So when you hear that they're protesting, that's a big deal. Um, the banks, what they did over there was they said, well, your deposits in your accounts weren't actually deposits, they're investments. And because they're investments, you can lose all of your money. And obviously that pissed a lot of people off. And what he said was that in China, that something like 24% of their GDP is tied to real estate. And in America, it's about 14%, which still feels kind of low for me. Um, so when something happens, there's a big rippling effect. But so much of all of this comes down to interest rates. Not so much what's going on in China, but that um, worldwide, the money markets are being absolutely rattled. Um, they're shook. And I can't help but wonder if it's because of crypto or if it's something else. Um, with all the political instability going on and, um, you know, we just need to go back to our old traditional American values and really look at where we are today, where we went wrong, fix a lot of that, take ownership, be our best selves, be a producing productive member of society, help the local GDP, pick up your neighbor, lend a hand, you know, be the upstanding citizen that the country needs right now on a micro level, inspire others, and eventually it'll become a macro level. And we'll be back to the great country that we all knew and love. I mean, to be able to go back to 2016 to 2017 right now, I would absolutely love that. But it's just not where we are, um, unfortunately. Uh, that being said, I'm going to wrap this episode up here and put this out there for y'all. Let me know what you think the market's going to do. What is your market of the moment? And... See you next week.